0: Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Who is a fan of waiting? Who just loves to wait for things? Does anybody? Does anybody enjoy waiting Maybe you're in the checkout line getting your groceries and there's three people in front of you and you need to wait your turn. Or maybe you're not quite at the checkout line yet. You're still in the deli counter and you've clicked off number 72 and the current number being helped is 54. Maybe for you, you're waiting for that Christmas present to arrive. (sighs) And you think every time you hear the Amazon truck coming down your road, you run to the window. You're waiting for a present. But the truck drives right by. It's not your turn yet. I don't like waiting. I remember about a month and a half ago when I had COVID, and I was quarantining for 10 days at home. Now you need to understand that in my wait I was by myself. My husband Steve was in Wyoming. He was hunting. So he was gone. The whole time I was miserably alone, waiting for my quarantine to be over, he was not there. And all my conversations with our dog Tucker were one sided. Oh, I found out that I am not good company for me. I was lonely, I was sad, and I was more than just a little bit frustrated as I waited at home. When we need to wait for something, we can experience all sorts of emotions, and depending on what it is that we're waiting for, those emotions can be positive or negative. Like if we're at a restaurant... And we're waiting for our food to come out. It's probably a positive emotion, right? We know that we will soon receive some delicious food and we can't wait. Or maybe we're picking up our adult son or daughter and their family from the airport. Because they are coming home for Christmas vacation and we just can't wait to see them. Or we're in the car outside our young adult college our young adults college dorm and we know that when they enter our car we'll hear everything about their last semester they're coming home for christmas too and the weight is almost uncontrollably positive as we wait for our loved ones maybe you're waiting for the birth of a child And that anticipation is just so exciting and positive. Or maybe your family wants a puppy. (laughs) And you go see the puppy, but they're only six weeks old. And you know you have to wait two more weeks to bring that puppy home. The entire family is so excited in the wait. Positive emotions in the wait. But then there's also the negative side of waiting, isn't there? Maybe you're waiting for a root canal. And while you're sitting in the chair, you have an option. You're looking around for the nearest exit in case you want to make a quick getaway. That's not a wait to be excited about. Or you just got pulled over by a cop. And you see them in your rearview mirror as they're walking towards your vehicle, and your tummy starts to hurt. If you're like me, you might start crying just a little bit. <laughs> that wait is not a fun wait. You feel miserable about what's coming next, or if you're waiting for a health test result to come back. That is a hard wait. The test could be positive or it could be negative for you. Waiting can be difficult. Waiting can be uncomfortable. Waiting can be hard. But no matter what we're waiting for, we can trust that God is present in our wait. Psalms 27 says, wait for the Lord Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. This verse tells us that there's a connection between waiting and God's involvement in the wait. Our job is to be strong and take heart. And to take heart means that we have courage. It means that we're confident. We're hopeful. We are hopeful that things will get better as we wait. And there can be positive experiences in the wait. Because when we wait for the Lord, our faith in him is strengthened. This is the walk of the Christ follower. And faith is such an important part of our relationship with God. Our short Christmas series this month is called Waiting for Christmas. And for you and me, Christmas is just a few short weeks away. We are closing in on the celebration of Jesus' birth. But it wasn't like that for the world way before you and me. Before Christ's birth, the world waited a very long time for the birth of the Messiah. And today we're going to look back for a bit as we talk about waiting for Christmas promise. And next week Pastor Ryan will help us look forward as we talk about waiting for Christmas hope. And we know that any time of waiting can be difficult. And certainly waiting for a promise to be fulfilled can be so hard. But there's just something about promises that draw us in. Maybe it's the hope of change. That comes with the promise. Or maybe there's the hope that things will get better with that promise. But there's the harsh reality that promises have always never been fulfilled. There's that harsh reality that because many of us have been told promises that have never been fulfilled. My friends, I should not have bags under my eyes if the eye cream and the eye gel that I've been using for four years is doing its job. I know this is a superficial promise, and there are much more significant promises that we've been told, promises that have come up empty, promises that have come up way short. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of an unfulfilled promise. Perhaps someone has said to you, I will always be there. And then they've left. Or maybe you've been told, I will always love you. And then that person leaves. Maybe for you, your promise has been, we will always have a job for you here. And then you're left go. The money will not run out, you've been told. And then you can't pay the bills. These are promises that we might hold on to with a white-knuckled grip. But because of our imperfection, because of our sin, we will always fall short on our promises. And those that love us will fall short on their promises. And the result, the result is pain. Pain in the unfulfilled promises that you and I have been told. And while we still have breath in our lungs, we live in this space between the promises the world makes that may or may not come true and the sweet promises of God that always come true. The promises from God that are always fulfilled. So if you're finding yourself In the middle of a broken promise today, I want to tell you that there's hope. There's hope and goodness and blessing found in the one place where promises are always fulfilled. And today, we're going to settle into that place. The place where God keeps his promises. We can trust this. We can rely on this. We can live on this. This really matters. And long ago, God made a promise that he kept, the beautiful promise that a Savior would come. And our Savior, Jesus Christ, was born, he lived, he loved, he died, he arose again, making a way for all who believe in him to live everlasting. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yes. God's word, the Bible, is a beautiful story of a promise kept. The promise of the Messiah, God would send a Savior to the world, not to condemn the world, but to save us. And while at Christmas time, if you're like me, your thoughts, your mind goes right to the fields outside Bethlehem, and you join the shepherds as they watch the chorus in the sky singing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace on whom his favor rests. There is so much more to the promise of a Savior that we don't want to miss. Because God always keeps his promises. You see, that bright encounter between the shepherds and the angels was the first public announcement of the Messiah's birth. And it broke through the silence of more than four centuries Since the last old prophet Malachi wrote these words from God, this is so great. Malachi says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. This was a prophecy that we will see fulfilled four centuries after it was told. Did you catch that? Four centuries, 400 years between Malachi, end of the Old Testament, and Matthew, first book in the New Testament. That's a long time of waiting for a promise. 400 years passed in the Holy Land and we, they, heard nothing, no more about Christ's birth until these words from an angel to the Lord, from an angel of the Lord to Joseph in Matthew 1. And she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Four hundred. 400 years after the last prophet spoke, the world is given a monumental clue that the long-awaited Messiah promised by God would come. The wait. The wait is about to be over. How exciting. This is going to get so great. We would have a Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, promise fulfilled. But why would the world need a savior? Why was God going to send Jesus to the world? To understand our need for a Messiah, we need to take a quick look back. And our answer is in Genesis chapter 3, as we discover a frustrating relationship as old as the ages. The Bible tells us that God created the world. He's placed Adam and Eve in the garden. And Eve has just had a moment with the serpent, who is Satan in disguise. The serpent has convinced her to eat some fruit that God had instructed them not to eat. Eve eats some, and she hands some to Adam. And now there's a price to pay. For their disobedience. In verse 15, God describes what every day after that day in the garden would look like between mankind and Satan. God said to the serpent, And I will put enmity which is opposition and frustration and fighting. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This verse tells us that there would be a feuding relationship between Eve and the serpent who deceived her. And the battle wouldn't just be between Eve and the serpent. There would be opposition, a never-ending quarrel for generations and generations to come between mankind and Satan. The world would need a savior. The world would need a Messiah. The world would need a sacrifice for our sins. To make us right with God. And we have scripture after sweet scripture. Helping us identify a timeline of the wait for the promised Messiah. There are so many references. Oh, we can't cover them today. But I encourage you to jot these down and look at them throughout the week. All these chapters and many more. Point toward the Messiah who is to come. Who would be our only way to a relationship with Jesus, to a relationship with God. And the prophet Zechariah, still Old Testament, builds excitement for the coming king. Rejoice, O people of Zion! Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem! Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious Zechariah is another Old Testament prophet who points us to the coming of a king, our savior. But for Zechariah and for those who came before him and for many who would still come after him, the wait continued. The wait for the Messiah was a multi-generational wait This was a long time of waiting for the promise of Christmas. I can hardly comprehend how many people lived and died while they were still waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. Hebrews 11 tells us about Abel and Noah, Abraham and Sarah, just to name a few. People who lived with a faith that looked forward they had that hope and that faith that we read about earlier in Psalms 27, 14. Remember, wait for the Lord. Be strong and wait for the Lord. But they did not see the fulfillment of the prophecy in their lifetime. Generations and generations hoped and watched and waited When we are in a long season of wait, we need to trust that God always fulfills his promises, but on his time. So how long do we wait for things today? We may or may not have generations of waiting, but today we do have seasons of waiting Many of us have experienced supply issue waits. Things that we want maybe for Christmas or things that we need for ourselves are backordered and we're waiting. We're just waiting. We might be waiting for COVID tests to determine if we can get together with family or friends in the coming weeks. And those tests take time. Or maybe for you, your wait is even longer. You're waiting for a child in your family. You're waiting for reconciliation between yourself and another family member. Or maybe your wait is that you find yourself in that sweet place of waiting for a brother or a sister, a parent, a child to come back into a relationship with the Lord. That's your story. That's your wait. We are still waiting for things today. And what we do, my friends, in that wait is so important. What we do really matters. And in the time that we have left, we're going to look at Mary today. Mary, the mother of Jesus, because she shows us what we can do when we find ourselves in a space of waiting. Mary was engaged to Joseph, and her journey of wait begins with an angelic visit. Read with me from Luke chapter 1. God, Gabriel appeared to her, Mary, and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you confused and disturbed mary tried to think what the angel could mean don't be afraid mary the angel told her for you have found favor with god you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him jesus he will be very great and you will be called the son of the most high The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Let's just pause there for a second and think about Mary. Can you imagine how she felt when she received this news from the angel? I don't know about you, but I would have ran right for those hills outside Bethlehem and joined the shepherds if I had been in her shoes. It's crazy to think that Mary was somewhere between 13 and 16 years old when she received this news. She was young. She was unmarried, and I can't begin to fathom how she felt. But don't let Mary's youth fool you. She loved God deeply and obediently. She might have looked young on the outside, but she possessed something far beyond her years on the inside. Mary loved God. That was her qualifier. That was what it took. That was her qualifier to do great things for God. And her love for God pushed her resume from somewhere in the middle of the pile to way on top of how God was going to use her. She found favor with him. It's no wonder that God chose her to be the mother of his son. You see, with God, it's what's on the inside that matters. God sees our heart and he shines his love and his purposes right there. Mary's heart was in the right place as she stepped into a hard season of waiting. And when we find ourselves in a season of waiting, we can learn so much from her. We can learn that it's okay to doubt. Mary doubted that her pregnancy would actually happen. Verse 34 confirms her doubt. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. Apparently, Mary knew about the birds and the bees. She knew that because she and Joseph had not been intimate, there was just no possible way that she could be pregnant. So she boldly asked that question, how can it be so? And God provided the answer. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. The answer that Mary was given about her pregnancy was that it was going to be a miracle. That's all the explanation she received. I would have wanted so much more. How about you? God, where? God, when? God, why? God, how again? Mary shows us that it's okay to doubt. And with our questions, we can come to God when we're waiting because he's patient with us. Oh, friends, this is where our faith enters stage right. It's a beautiful thing when our faith replaces our doubt about what God is doing in our wait. And our faith grows Each time we place our trust in him when we're in a season of waiting. Mary experienced doubt and she went to God with her questions. We also see that Mary found a friend in her wait. Gabriel mentions to her in verse 36 that her relative Elizabeth was pregnant. So Mary takes off and goes to Elizabeth. In fact, if you keep reading, you'll see the scripture says, Mary hurried. She couldn't wait to get to Elizabeth fast enough. She needed a friendly face. When we feel lonely as we're waiting for something, we need to keep people in our forefront that will wait with us. I experienced this firsthand very recently. My father passed away a few months ago, and so many of you sent texts and cards, calls, emails. Oh, that blessed me. Our small group was so important to me through that time because they loved deep and wide. In our times of waiting, we need friends. Mary is so cool and what she does next just blows me away. She accepted her situation. Here's how Mary responded to the angel. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Mary took her place within a sweet promise, the promise that God was doing something incredible in her life. Wow. There have been times in my life where it's been hard to accept what God was doing. Maybe you've been there. I mean, he was working, he was moving, but I pushed back just a bit. And as the years go by, I learned to hold my hand open, with my will for him to take. And he replaces my will with what he's asking me to be obedient about. And there's where that faith grows again each and every time. It's not easy, but we can trust that God's got us in our weight. Mary trusted God and she followed where he was leading her. And lastly, Mary praised God in her weight. Verses 46 to 55 in Luke 1 records word for word how Mary sang sweet praises to God as she waited. She belted it out. How does that happen? I think our worship, our praise starts with acknowledging how deep and wide God's love is for us. How we're loved by the creator of the universe who draws us in. My friends, if you are waiting for something this Christmas, consider just praising him and be filled with his praise. Know that God is with you in your wait. You can trust that. He loves you and he keeps his promises. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. In the same way the sun never grows weary of shining or a stream of flowing, it is God's nature to keep his promises. Therefore, go immediately to his throne and say, do as you promised. As a child, I loved lift the flap books. You know what I mean. They're books where each page has a flap that you lift up. And underneath that flap, you find a new part of the story. The Christian life is like a lift the flap book. There are moments in our lives where God is about to show us something new, and we can only discover what that is when we lift the flap. When we're waiting for a promise to be fulfilled, we can lift the flap and discover that God meets us in our waiting and opens a beautiful new part of our story each and every time. If you'd like to respond to today's message, it's on your connection card. Your sermon action point goes like this. Because I know God keeps his promises, I will trust him as I wait for. And here's where you just fill in what you're waiting for. Put your connection card in the box and I'll be praying for you this week. Choose to trust that our God always keeps his promises. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at CRBIC.org. That's CRBIC.org.